My experience of eating meat, eating meat growing up. Growing up, it was something that was kind of taken for granted. I don't think I ever considered not eating meat. I think we had some sort of animal every night of the week. And I was obsessed with McDonald's when I was a kid. And my mom really liked it too. We inherit a lot of our food habits from our parents. I think our parents' generation truly believe that humans need red meat, that we have this need for animal protein. Seems that they're very hard pressed to let go of. My father certainly is the type of person that stipulates a meal must contain potatoes, veg, and a meat item. You know, it's very normal. It was on the plate at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, maybe even three times a day, gosh, I don't know. So I didn't really start thinking about it myself until I moved out and I was purchasing meat myself. I never ate loads of meat growing up because my stepdad is vegetarian and my sister has been vegan from when she was really, really young. I do remember having meat as kind of like a treat, usually like at barbecue. Used to really enjoy that. And in fact, I still find the smell of barbecuing meat really attractive, even though I don't eat it anymore. Welcome to Liss and Bitter, episode one. It's complicated. I'm Olivia Oldham. I'm Katie Ravel. This is a series about meat. Well, sort of. It's also about beans. It's about the land, it's about ecologies, and it's about the climate. It's about the health of our bodies and minds, and of our rivers. It's about rituals and culture and spirituality. It's about justice and fairness and capitalism. More than anything, it's about trying to unpack and untangle what feels like one of the biggest questions of our time. What do we do about meat? I think most people don't give it a second thought. You just go to Sainsbury's and you pick up your thing of mince or whatever and you don't think about the impact the meat that you'll be cooking has had on anything. You don't really want to think too much about it. So you just don't and it's really easy. I think actually I've thought about it so much more since I've stopped eating it. We only really meet that we've produced or that we know the producer well. Feelings can evolve, but at the moment I feel comfortable eating meat. But I think it should be led by what is a healthy diet for the planet. For a long time I thought vegetarianism was just like so strange. So I went vegetarian when I was five years old. <laughs> it was very simple five-year-old thinking of I've learnt that ham is pig and that <laughs> beef is cow and I like cows and I like lambs and they're cute. We had someone come to live with us for a while and she was vegetarian and it was like oh my gosh how are we going to survive what are we going to cook? There were a lot of people who said it was very extreme to be vegan. You're excluding yourself from situations and from community. My friend was the first one to go vegan and it turned out it wasn't as hard and exclusionary as everyone said it was going to be. It's always the way, once you get into it, it's like, oh, this is absolutely no problem. What was the fuss about? How do I feel about eating meat now? In short, ambivalent. What I do buy is free range or organic, if I do buy it, and that's quite rare. What I struggle with is if I feel I'm imposing on other people, 
like being hosted at other people's houses or going to special occasions. What's important is that the meat is raised in a healthy way, you know, and healthy in every sense of the word, in the way it affects the body, the animal, the surroundings, the planet, everything. I'm Katie Revel. I'm a podcast producer and I'm really interested in food and farming and land. I live in Glasgow, but I grew up on the east coast of Scotland in what used to be a fishing town, and it still is to a very limited extent. It's surrounded by the sea and by big arable farms. I'm Olivia Oldham. I'm from Aotearoa, New Zealand, but I've spent a lot of my life away from home. And right now I live in Europe. I'm a PhD researcher, a writer and an aspiring farmer. My thesis is about trying to understand the links between land ownership and a more sustainable, fairer food system. Do you eat meat? I do eat meat now, which almost feels like quite a strange thing to say because for a long time I was vegetarian and that was quite a big part of my identity actually. As a young child, I made what was at the time quite a straightforward ethical decision to not eat meat because I didn't like the idea of animals being killed for me to eat them. And so I was vegetarian with some breaks pretty much up to when I went to uni. And that was when I started getting interested in food politics and food production and really thinking about these things in a slightly um, deeper way and wondering whether not eating meat really was the best thing for me to be doing, especially in an environmental context. You know, I I came to the conclusion that what I should be doing was eating as locally as possible. And given that I was living in Scotland, having the majority of my protein come from things that couldn't be produced in Scotland, I started to question that. So I made, I guess in a way, quite a cold, rational decision to start eating meat occasionally. And that was wrapped up in all sorts of all sorts of grand ideas about, you know, only eating meat if I knew where it was coming from and how it had been raised and it was traceable and doing it very, very consciously. And that's still what I try to do, but I'm not consistent. You know, last week I had a pizza and it had some ham on it and I didn't ask where it was from and I don't know where it was from. So I'm definitely not consistent with that. That's very relatable. (laughs) Um, I'm also very inconsistent I have yeah a lot of as you say kind of grand ideals uh, that I don't live up to I go to McDonald's sometimes although very rarely the last time I went to McDonald's was at a train station in Brussels about a year ago on my way home from a conference and I had a McChicken, which is what I always used to get before I ever really started thinking about food in any sort of critical way when I was a teenager. And it tasted so good, so good. (laughs) But then I felt so guilty and I still feel so guilty. So yeah, it can be hard sometimes to be consistent Uh, with your ideals and obviously that's a more egregious example (laughs) than (laughs) yours but yes I do eat meat um, normally about once a month maybe even less 
and usually that will be red meat, beef or lamb, because I feel somewhat more confident mm. living in Europe that it won't have had a completely terrible life mm. and that it probably hasn't been fed too much feed. And also because usually the thing that triggers me to actually eat some meat is feeling tired, feeling like I'm running low mm. on iron. But then again, I'm inconsistent. Sometimes I'll have bacon on a burger, even if I don't know for sure where it came from. I still have a lot of confusion and a lot of ambivalence. Mm. You know, if I'm cooking meat at home, it's usually mince or it's something that doesn't obviously resemble the bit of the animal that it is, even though ideally I'd like to be eating awful and, you know, <laughs> kidneys and liver, you know, nose to tail. And I don't. I really struggle with that. I mean, I live in Scotland. You know, sheep's heed broth not so many generations ago would have been a really common food. And the idea of being served that now is just completely... I mean, it just wouldn't happen. So, yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge how much of this is informed by the cultures that we've grown up in. This series is called Less and Better. It's a phrase that's become increasingly common in debates about meat. And on the face of it, it seems like a pretty simple idea. But is it really? To me, less than better meat means treating meat as a sort of special treat. I think, yeah, the expectation that people can eat chicken breast four times a week without thinking about the rest of the chicken or thinking about where that chicken has come from doesn't necessarily make sense. For me, the idea of less than better meat means avoid buying the cheapest meat that you could potentially get in the supermarket, have it in a nice restaurant. And that's sort of like an experience that maybe you go for like a few times a year. I've never given any thought, apart from when I see things about mass meat farming in America, it leaves a bit of a bad taste in the mouth. But I've always tried not to think about it just because I like eating meat. It's a cost thing as well. You just want the cheapest meat, regardless of the quality. And maybe we all should start thinking about eating less, but eating less meat. Meat itself, I think, is not the question, but rather how meat is raised and how it's distributed then becomes the question, right? So are we recycling nutrients? Are we treating these animals well? So what are the production and distribution systems associated with meat are, are the bigger questions. Yes, we do need to eat less meat, but it should be led by how they fit within a whole farming system. We have this much land and this many people. How are we going to feed ourselves, you know? And generally, I think that is with less meat in the global north. And meat that is produced better for me is, yeah, more ecologically sound. And that's not based on exploiting animals or people. I'm aware that, you know, George Monbiot would tell you that there's a much bigger environmental impact there because the resources used to give those animals a good life are, you know, sort of carbon intensive in themselves so there's an argument to be made I don't know if I would make it that kind of factory reared meat is more sustainable you know but to me I think the animal welfare side of things 
weighs too strongly. Well, it is quite dystopian, all these big sort of techno food solutions. It feels dystopian because of how far away from traditional farming it feels, but then we're actually quite far away from traditional farming anyway. I would like to see meat consumption go down to the point where you can actually produce it using regenerative agriculture methods that have a high animal welfare and that rely on pastures without external inputs. That greatly reduces the livestock production capacity, but that also greatly reduces things like the industrial chicken-based pollution of the River Y. When you look at the eat less, eat better, there are a lot of members in there who actually aren't interested in eating less. They want to eat no meat. So they see it as a stepping stone, not eat less, eat better. Eat less, then eat nothing. I'm personally not totally in agreement with the idea that we need less but better meat. I think we just need more better food. And we need to recognize food for the life-giving force that it really is, rather than something that should be traded by people who view it as no different to other kind of stocks and shares. So the question is partly about whether raising animals for food makes ecological sense. But it's also about whether it makes sense in terms of our health to eat so much meat. It's a tricky one because nutrition is really hotly contested, isn't it? But in general, my sense is that nutritional consensus is that we should be eating less meat as a society, and particularly less red meat. Mum would tell me that growing up, you'd slaughter a goat if you've got a function, or I guess, but you wouldn't just slaughter willy-nilly because that chicken gives you eggs. So you can get your protein from the eggs, why do you need to eat the chicken? Half the Indian cricket team, they're vegetarians. Look at them, they are sprinters. And it's also a question of whether or not we think it's right to kill animals for food. And if so, how? And how many? And what kind of lives should we enable farmed animals to have, if we should even farm them at all? For me, yes, the environment comes into it, but my main priority will always be being vegan for the animals. And so whilst we're still producing animals, whilst we're still slaughtering them, to me that we're not doing enough. And we can cultivate plant proteins that can act as complete proteins. And so that is the better meat alternative, really. You can cut out the animal from the whole of the supply chain. As a people with a sort of nostalgic view of the countryside, do they want to see a countryside entirely free of cows or just with like a couple of pet cows? On a personal level, I subscribe to like, yeah, eating mostly plants. If I'm eating meat, it's relatively rare and ideally sacred and there's some kind of honouring of that life and gratitude for that life. I think the closer people get to feeling really that relationship with animals and what goes into killing animals, like it will be a lot much easier for them to want to subscribe to less and better meat. My friend's nephew once asked, does it hurt the animals when they take the meat off them? Which is deeply upsetting. Uh, but, you know, makes your face up to things. Yeah, I suppose there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief or suspension of your ethics. Arguably the most ethical meat is wild meat, like venison, where the animal has lived out its entire life in a natural environment. You know, that's the least human intervention in the process whatsoever. Another part of Less and Better is about fairness 
One person's less might be another person's more. How do we make sure that everyone has enough good food to eat? Food that they've genuinely chosen. If it's left up to money and what people can afford, how would you achieve that? Less meat for people without money and, you know, organic food for those with lots of money. Like, I could easily see how that happens. You could say that's the path we're going down, potentially. I think the cost of living crisis especially has kind of made it quite obvious to me how access to food and quality food, the disparity is just unbelievable. So it's easy for me to talk from a point of privilege. I would prefer a term of like, we need to moderate meat intake, <laughs> which means if a population's consuming too little, they could increase it, and others who are consuming too much could decrease it. I think it's absolutely the place to start because I think often the conversation is about we need to stop eating meat to try and save the planet. But then that is responded to with a lot of hate and anger and history of people who are farmers and people who have a culture where eating meat is really important to that food culture. So I think it's a place to start where it's accepting that you don't need to have all or nothing. It's recognizing different people's starting points. So it's from wherever you're starting, it's less and better. Yeah, so it makes me feel hopeful. It's a bit more neutral than saying cut down meat altogether. I think it's almost that if you are putting yourself up on a pedestal and saying I'm perfect, I'm this and this is what's good, then you will always have people who for whatever reason are trying to undermine you. At the end of the day, it's not about who's better, it's about everyone hopefully sharing values of trying to have less harm in the world. Clearly, less and better meat can mean quite different things, depending on who you ask. People have different priorities and different motivations, and they're speaking from dramatically different contexts. So why are we making this series? What are we trying to do with it? Well, we're confused and we're conflicted, and we know a lot of other people are as well. The first thing to say is we won't be coming up with any clear-cut answers. We won't be giving you a set of instructions to follow in your own life. Really, this series is about coming up with questions. And in some ways, that might be a bit frustrating. But we also think it's the most honest and hopefully the most productive way to move the conversation forward. A lot of existing discourse on the meat issue that we see in the press, on social media and in political debates a lot of it tries to boil the question down to a simple, straightforward yes or no, right or wrong. In the process, it ignores the inherent uncertainties involved. This simplification is often based on the idea that if we allow for all the nuance and complexity, it's just too confusing and time-consuming. The argument is that something needs to change now, so... Let's stop mucking around with the details and get on with the radical changes we need to make to reduce methane emissions or eliminate animal suffering. And on one level, we agree. These problems are really urgent. But we also have some reservations. The thing about that approach is that it ignores the fact that our ideas of what's right and wrong are not neutral, objective facts. They're deeply emotional they're value-laden, and they're fundamentally subjective. For a start, less is necessarily relative. 
In the United States, for example, a recent study showed that around 12% of people eat half of all the beef that's consumed there. So less and better for people in that top 12% is going to look really different to what it means for everyone else. And how much less is less also depends on what goals are most important to you, not to mention how you quantify them. How much less would be optimal from a climate perspective? What about from the point of view of biodiversity? And what if what you're most concerned about are farmers' livelihoods or the ability of everyone to access nutritious, culturally appropriate food? Even then, things aren't straightforward. For example, there are lots of different ways of understanding climate impacts. And prioritizing biodiversity isn't simple either. It almost always involves difficult decisions about which non-human lives matter most, and where. And the same goes for better. For some people, better might mean better tasting. For other people, it might bring to mind images of happy cows in green fields, or gleaming laboratories with no animals in sight. But again, different goals or priorities might come into conflict. What's better for the climate might be worse for animal welfare. And even when we are clear about what we want to achieve with better meat, there's no silver bullet. There are always complexities and nuances that muddy any idea we might have of a simple solution. The idea that there isn't kind of an obvious right or wrong answer is not something that I have always been very good at recognizing. Mm-hmm. Back when I really started to first get interested in food and farming and food politics and animal farming. I had a friend who at a similar time had decided that she was going to become vegan for environmental reasons. At the same time as I was learning all about how cows and well-managed grazing can be in some circumstances environmentally beneficial, And I remember that we used to get into quite um, heated discussions about, you know, whether or not animal agriculture was good or bad for the environment, at least on my part, being quite, yeah, I guess quite dogmatic about it. Why couldn't she understand my point and believe me? (laughs) Which now I look back on as, as, you know, exactly the kind of, of discourse that I absolutely hate to see (laughs) is you know why I hate going on on social media because everyone's just so frustrated at one another and so angry and talking past one another in so many different ways so having had that kind of journey (laughs) myself I really wanted to make a different kind of contribution Not one where I can sort of sit safely on the fence and not really pick a side. That's not what this is about at all. But instead, one where I can step away from a kind of battle orientation that seems so pervasive. One where I could kind of take a step back and try to make those kinds of hidden nuances visible. Yeah, Back when I made that kind of conscious decision that, yes, I was going to become a meat eater, there would be raised eyebrows and confused looks. And I quite enjoyed being 
contrarian. And yeah, over time, similarly, I think my views have become less clear. I think in between the black and the white, there is a whole lot of grey. And I think the trouble with grey is that on the face of it, it doesn't seem very exciting. And grey doesn't translate easily into catchy headlines or Twitter posts. It often seems like debates about the future of meat are really debates about a specific technology or a specific approach to farming. It's sort of this technology pitted against this other technology. And I think those conversations are important, but it sometimes seems like they happen to the exclusion of bigger questions, you know, bigger questions about what lies behind those technologies. And I think something we want to try to do with this series is get to those bigger questions. Like the climate crisis is a crisis. Biodiversity loss is, you know, not waiting around for us to figure out all the details. But at the same time, I do think that focusing too much on the urgency really closes down space to have those kinds of conversations about what's important, what kind of social relations and economic ideas and politics are behind, you know, solution X or technology Y, not because they're philosophically interesting, but because they fundamentally shape what world we'll create with our choices. And if they have embedded in them injustice and exploitation and (laughs) extraction, then that's the world we'll get. And so I think these questions of what lies behind the technologies and approaches is Mm. really crucial to have despite the urgency because of how vast the consequences are for the world that we will grow old in and the children of today will grow up in. So, yes, when it comes to this big question, the question of whether or not or to what extent we think meat should be part of our diets, on one level, we can think about that by drawing on the facts and figures available to us. Science is a really important part of helping to inform our decisions. But at the end of the day, we can't just rely on the evidence that science provides us with. All the scientific evidence in the world can't tell us what's right. What is can't tell us what should be. So how do we navigate through these uncertain waters? Instead of trying to draw a new map to lay out with certainty a new way of viewing the world, we see this series as trying to build a new sort of compass. As we've journeyed through making the following seven episodes, we wanted to see if we could find some principles or values that might help us to orient ourselves when it comes to working out what less and better meat means for us. We know that this compass might not always point us in the right direction. It might not always help us to find the right answer, but we hope that it might help us to at least find some of the right questions to ask. This is partly about the choices that we and you make as individuals in our day-to-day lives. What to eat, where to get it from, 
if you're a farmer, how and what to produce, how to distribute what you produce. How do you decide? But it's also about bigger questions. How can you understand and untangle all the competing stories of meat? What visions of the future of farming animals, or not farming them, do you think are worth fighting for, or fighting against? Of course, Olivia and I have got our own opinions, and inevitably, those will be part of the narrative. But we want to leave you with questions that might help you make your own decisions, and to orientate yourself towards your own vision of the future of meat, and what lesson better might mean to you. Over the rest of the series, we'll be coming at that question of less and better meat from several different angles. We should point out that this is, of course, a huge subject. There'll be a lot that we miss out. For one, our focus here is on meat. We won't really be talking about dairy or other non-meat animal products or fish. And to keep things manageable, we've limited our geographical focus to the UK although we have done our best to keep in view how decisions made here might impact other parts of the world. In the next episode, we'll be taking a deeper dive into what some people see as the most important issue when it comes to the future of meat. How can we understand the impacts of producing meat on our living environment? I enjoy consuming meat and I continue to consume more meat than is probably a sensible amount. I think the ubiquity of meat in the foodstuffs available to us probably contributes to that, as does working in a bakery making sausage rolls. (laughs) For me, growing up in Kenya, I think I was about 11 or 12 and we were at my grandmother's place and it was around Christmas time and there was a goat being slaughtered. And I just ran off. I was like, no, I don't want to see that. My best friend will never eat lamb, I don't think, ever again, because she found out aged eight or something that, you know, this was Basil the sheep that she was eating, that she'd reared. I've always been a massive carnivore. I've watched a few shows on Netflix in the past about veganism, and it makes you want to be vegan, but then I don't want to stop eating meat. I have been trying to consume more plant source proteins, like legumes, nuts and seeds, but I don't really think the solution is just cut meat out altogether. The plant-based meat is just as yummy, but my favorite meal still is meat and three veg. I've been almost entirely vegetarian for, I don't know, like five, six years. When I see there's adverts for like subscription services for a meat box or whatever, and seeing all this, just massive amounts of meat laid out, it actually kind of makes me feel a bit sick. I think the danger of taking something away which you really enjoy, depriving yourself of that, and I've seen this with a few friends who have tried to go vegan, is that you kind of just give up and then go back onto the meat full time. What works for me is to eat just a little bit of meat sometimes and make sure it's good, you know, kind of the best you can afford really. A lot of my cooking learning has been around meat, right? And I like the taste and I like the tradition. All the cuisines I like, they involve also meat. For me, It's not destroying communities and cultures where a certain type of meal is so important to someone's childhood and it's nostalgic and it has all of those associations, but it's enabling you to have those memories and have that nostalgic engagement with food without harming animals. And to me, that's exciting. I think the longer that I have been vegan for, the more I've understood there are lots of different 
ways that you can use your diet in a positive way and not eating any meat is not necessarily the only way to have a positive impact. Thanks for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode and links to relevant resources on the Farmerama website. If you value what we do at Farmerama, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Less and Better is researched, produced and edited by me, Katie Revel, and me, Olivia Oldham, with the support of executive producer Joe Barrett. Our series music is by Alex Batchelor, and our artwork is by Yagoda Sadowska. In this episode, we heard the voices of Hiba, Matthew R, Lisa, Raphael, Lewis, Dora, Flavian, Flora, Ross, Ellie, Matthew O, Raymond, Nikki, Francisco, Joe, Divya, Elise, Chris, Andrew, Kumar, Molly, TJ, Samson, Alex, Ihtud, and Ty. Thanks to the rest of the Farmerama team. Dora Taylor, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Lucy Fisher. Less and Better was made possible thanks to generous funding from the Roddick Foundation and the A-Team Foundation. 